0: everyone welcome to the char podcast this is your host kushal mehra all right the last two podcasts with uh, jared were not live streams i was like what the hell let's do a live stream this time so that if somebody gets mad at jared they can share their emotions on the, <laughs> on the stream itself. so i
1: can ignore their emotions
0: <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about uh i know it's ipl time everybody is obsessed with ipl but i'm not uh jared watches the ipl i think jared watches more uh, IPL than I do, which is uh, I don't know. Should I be ashamed as an Indian that I don't watch as much of the IPL? I, I think I'd not even watch it for like nine, ten years, and this year I'm still watching because uh, in the other cricket podcast that I do with Adit, my co-host, uh, he started getting mad at me. He's like, "Shame on you, watch it!" I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna watch some to IPL." Fair,
1: I think I watch more of every country's cricket than most country <laughs> fans do, so I, I don't think uh, you know. I think there's probably a few Irish people who are like, "How does he know all this stuff?" Um, so yeah so I wouldn't worry about that too much
0: yeah so the brief background of this was um, it starts with actually a movie that Jared had done a long time ago Uh, I don't remember the exact year it's available on YouTube in case you guys are are wondering Uh, at least I watched it on YouTube I don't know if it was the correct link or not I think it is available on YouTube so it all starts there And there have been a series of discussions uh, every time about the state of Test Match Cricket. And Jared and I were having an offline discussion and I told Jared I have a few thoughts about it. But uh, uh, let's start from here, Jared. Uh, Maybe we can first look at the revenue model itself. Uh, So if I was to ask you, what is the revenue model of three cricketing entities as of now uh, one is t20 cricket which is international t20 cricket and franchise so i'm clubbing them together i'm not separating them mm-hmm. and uh, one is odi cricket or just international odi cricket and the third is five day cricket which is test match cricket so where do we stand on the revenue model
1: yeah so the main revenue in t20 cricket is from franchises So a capitalist model, sometimes with owners, sometimes without. So sometimes the boards own it. So the ECB and Cricket Australia own their leagues, whereas obviously some of the other leagues are not owned that way and the teams aren't owned that way. Uh, But the majority of the money comes via that franchise uh, and then selling the TV slash streaming rights. International cricket uh, is slightly different. International cricket works on a bilateral um, system. So essentially what you do is uh, you say, uh, I want to play your team and I'm gonna to pay to bring them out here and we're gonna put on this uh, event. We're gonna take all the money because we've flown you out here and put you in nice hotels. Um, and then because we've done that for you, you will do that for us um, and it works in that sort of way. And then the only other thing that's sort of weirdly on top of all that is the ICC model, uh, which basically uh, sells the entire World Cup as a global package, generally to a big Indian company, or obviously recently some big American companies have been looking at buying it as well. And then they give a percentage of all that money to all the boards involved. Um, so those are the basic models of how this works. And, uh, you know, the ICC model makes sense and the franchise model makes sense. Uh, the bilateral model uh, came about in a day when it, when it would take you four months to get a boat from Australia to South Africa or, or England to play with these series. Uh, didn't really make sense once cable TV started. Certainly didn't make any sense once streaming started. Um, and once franchise cricket started, it made even less sense.
0: Yeah, especially uh, you mentioned streaming over here. I don't know if you are following the absolute crash of the viewership numbers of Star Sports right now in the IPL since Geo has taken this over. Mm-hmm. Man, Geo has done a number on these folks. I'm not saying in a negative way. I'm just saying Reliance is so smart. What Reliance has essentially done is that if you compare the numbers that Hotstar used to get when IPL goes on, and you compare it to what Geo is getting right now, because Geo made it free, like you don't have to have a subscription of Geo Cinema to watch the IPL, just go there and watch it. And the numbers are insane. Star is not getting the numbers. So, What do we do in a situation like this where test cricket anyway, right, does not have the kind of viewership? Uh, I remember the the television ratings when it comes to test cricket are also lesser when compared to, let's say, T20 cricket uh, in general. I'm not even talking about IPL because I, I don't know what's what with people. People just seem to absolutely love the IPL. Everybody seems to watch it. I, I I barely meet people in my common discussions in India who don't watch the IPL. I literally don't meet. I'm like I'm the only weirdo in the room who doesn't care. And everybody else seems to be discussing it, following it, and everything around it. But if that is the case, it, is it safe to assume that basically the shorter format or the shortest format of the game now is bankrolling the original format of the game?
1: No, because the money hasn't really moved across. So not really. There's there's a big problem within the entire market, which is that there aren't actually that markets who can sustain a T20 tournament. It's expensive, right, to have it and to have it for a long period of time. So what you actually end up having is a three or four week tournament where you play a lot of cricket in that little period of time. But mostly the viewership numbers are still actually better for international cricket. It's very rare. Um, the IPL is, is an outlier. But even then, I think, I think a lot of the Indian international games, especially the big ones, get higher ratings than IPL games, right? It's India. It's not Sunrises versus, you know, LSG, right? So you're more likely to watch it if India is playing. So there is still a lot of international ratings. The problem, the, the problem really is that there is no way of actually maximizing the money that you make from Test cricket, so I think it's the guy who's now at Geo. I think I think I'm getting his right. Ra- ra- uh, I think I'm getting his promotion right. Uday Shankar. So I talked to him in 2011, 2012, and off the record, he sort of said to me, you know, and we were, it was doing my film Death of a Gentleman that you talked about before, and we and sort of off the record, he was just like, we don't pay as much for Test cricket as we should, right? They knew that then. Uh, that's been pretty much the case all the way through with cricket because you're only trying to sell it to one market and then a second market. And the best way of selling this would be in a big package, right? That's why the ICC rights make so much money uh, because they sell that in a huge package. And if you want to buy the Indian stuff, you have to buy the Zimbabwean stuff. You don't have a choice. They come together, right? Whereas if you're buying a test match, you just wait for the good series to come on, right? So, a couple of days ago, um, I get a I get a WhatsApp from Cricket Island telling me that they're playing Sri Lanka. I'm like, oh, great, I've forgotten about that. Thank you for the WhatsApp. Then it takes me an hour to work out where I'm going to watch it, right? Where, where am I going to watch it in the UK? I know where I can watch it in Sri Lanka, and I know where I can watch it in in Ireland. Where do I watch it in the UK? The first website I go to tells me a channel I've never heard of before, and then eventually I find out it's on BT Sports. Great, easy to watch. I can put it on my iPad, perfect, you know, That is the problem with test cricket. There are many people who, there are many people like you who at the moment will be like, oh, wait a minute, Ireland, they've barely played any test matches. Uh, I've got nothing to do in the morning. I'll watch this for a couple of hours. Not if you don't know what channel it's going to be on. Not if it hasn't been told to you. Not if the broadcaster who has the rights bought the, the series a day before and hasn't advertised it, right? That is what is happening to test cricket at the moment. So it's not really being bankrolled by the franchises because all the money from the franchises kind of goes back into the franchises. What has really happened is the test cricket gets diminished because they're not making any money off it, but they're not making any money off it because they made that decision. They wanted to keep it bilateral because that gives each board individual power, right? The minute you go to the big thing, it means that the bigger teams have all the power and you have no power anymore and you can't get someone over at the last minute. So if you look at, you know, during the, um, that uh, the bubble period of our lives you know all those teams were desperate to go and play England right during the bubble so the West Indies there were more people dying of COVID in England than there are on some of those West Indian islands right yet the West Indies still came out to play in the bubble Pakistan still came out to play in the bubble right and they did that so they could get a tour from England right so they could make money going ahead in the future and that's not a good way of uh, promoting sport. That's not a good way of managing sport. That, and it's certainly not a good way of making money out of it. And I've been involved in a lot of these rights deals, you know, having worked for radio and, and other things. You're talking about like a day or a week, or maybe if you're lucky, two weeks before, suddenly getting a decision on how much you're going to pay. Who's going to win then? The cricket board who won't have another tournament that this this company might want for four years or the major TV network? so you're going to be surprised to know that the tv networks do okay out of these deals
0: yeah so what do you make of this i remember this uh, article this was a while ago i don't know if that has changed but uh, at least in the case of bcci this was in april 19 2017 this was written by sanjeev shankaran uh, they they had quoted the bcci's annual report for 1516 which basically described uh, IPL as the most valuable brand. And 2015-16, the surplus from IPL contributed 211 crore. That is uh, Indian rupees. uh, In case people are wondering what a crore is, one with seven zeros, whatever you want to figure it out. 15% of BCCI's annual income of 1,365 crore Indian rupees. Uh, And over the last nine years, they said, BCCI's financial statement from uh, 08-09, the IPL surplus was just 15 crores, which was 2% of BCCI's annual income of 711 crores. So, uh, and this trend, I'm just assuming is going to go on increasing year on year. So the IPL, it it may not directly bankroll test cricket, but if it's going to take up almost 20% of BCCI's revenue, then it's pretty much running the show, right? Oh, it's running the show. It's whether that money's
1: coming back into bankroll this cricket would be the argument, which as far as I could see across the world doesn't seem to really be happening. India is a slightly different one. BCCI, the way they sell international cricket rights is a bit silly, Like they sell a T20 game for the same amount that they sell a test match, right? Now, even if you have the same amount of numbers, a test match is always worth more. And the reason it's worth more is not just because it's five days, it's because you know exactly the target audience who are going to be watching it and they will see your advertising over a five-day period, right? So it doesn't make any sense to charge the same amount for both. And they did that for years. I'm not sure, I I can't remember what their last deal was if they were still doing it, but they were doing it up until very, very recently. And it didn't make any sense. They're not even maximizing how much they can make from international cricket. And part of the reason is they don't have to. Everyone else has to, right? But you're right. It's, it's, you know the way that the way that it has been set up doesn't really um, help Test cricket, but there's no way there's no individual board in this case that can fix that problem, right? Because it still comes. Let's say the BCCI; they know that every couple, every four years, well, actually it's probably every three years, but every three years, England's going to come over, right? That's the big TV market, right, outside of India they're going to pay a lot of money, uh, you know, whether it be Sky, whether it be BT, whether it be some random company who wants to get a bunch of, you know, subscribers or users, they're going to pay the BCCI a lot of money. But that's only once every three years, right? There's no normal um, conversation. There's no, uh, you know, if let's say, let's say at the moment that those rights are happening. So BT Sport is kind of dying in the UK, right? From what I can tell. Um, Externally, Um, it's sort of dying. If it's dying at the exact time the BCCI are trying to sell those rights, suddenly there's only one company wants that rights. They're going to pay whatever they want to pay. And if the BCCI want more, there's no one else in that market, right? And so you can't have a system where that is the way that you are doing business, where all you do is every three, four, five years, sometimes you go back to a company and you then try and sell it, usually quite late in the piece as well. Whereas if you're saying to a company, okay, Sky, you want cricket. Well, we're gonna sell you every test match in the world for the next five years. And if you want all of England's test matches, you're gonna have to buy this. If you want every time England is touring, you're gonna have to do this. If you want Australia versus India, you're gonna have to do this. If you want the World Test Championship, suddenly Sky is, it's a whole different market then. Because Sky now know that they're gonna have absolute acres of cricket to be showing rather than a one-off series. If you have a look at Sky, and they're a really interesting one. They don't always buy the overseas rights. They buy them based on when they think it's useful to them. right? And so every now and again, you're watching England cricket and you have to watch it on BT, right? And who has to pay for that? The subscriber who now has to have a subscription service. So the actual test cricket fan gets charged twice because Sky go, oh, they're playing New Zealand and it's a bad time zone. I will let BT get that. Or they're playing South Africa, but South Africa rubbish now. Do we even want that series anymore? Or they're in Bangladesh. Who cares about Bangladesh test matches, right? These sorts of things are what these companies are doing and they've got all the boards over a barrel um, and, that's why, and that's why it is a very, very bad system. There is plenty of more money to make in Test Cricket if it was run correctly.
0: Now, another argument that was given, I, and I remember reading this in the Forbes.com, uh, they were saying that maybe the top three nations, they can afford to, you know, uh, sustained test match cricket uh, top three nations uh, being England, Australia, India, uh, in case people. And I remember you also had touched upon this point in your movie that the struggle in test cricket is for the other nations. So let's say I'm literally quoting the then chairman, um, Tawangwa, uh Mukolani, I don't know if I got, if I butchered your name, I apologize. I'm sure you'll butcher mine and we'll even, uh, we'll be happy thereafter. But he says that we do lose a lot of money, about 300,000 to 400,000 USD to host a test series. It's money we don't have. Then obviously, you know, you go down the line. Zimbabwe, they say, receives around 94 million USD in the ICC's current cycle from 16 to 23, compared to India's 405 million and England's 139 million. So, we need more money if we want to play test cricket. Our TV rights are reflective of our opportunities. So, the problem that happens over there is every cricket board is going to be selfish. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember South Africa which was a major test playing nation now has I don't know when they're going to play a proper three match test series now next it's going to be like a year or two when they play a three match test series if South Africa can afford it then what's the future of test cricket outside of these three nations
1: yeah and so I the only one that we have publicly where we have someone who admitted how much it costs it costs Ireland a million um and I think this is I want to say it's pounds, but maybe it was US dollars to host a test match. Now, Ireland's a little bit different than other countries because they don't actually have a test venue. They have a park uh, where they put stands up. So it is a bit more expensive to, you know, put those temporary seats in and, and, and build the infrastructure you need for DRS and everything else. But we know that from, from what we've heard from teams, it's between half a million and a million USD to do a test. If you're Zimbabwe and you're playing anyone other than India, how are you going to make that money back on a test match, right? And at the moment, you would have to say there is no way of doing that. Now, this comes back to me, uh, again, saying if it was part of an overall package, uh, the hosting fees and the umpiring fees and the player fees would actually all be taken away by the, the package, right? And at the moment, we're not doing that. And so because of that, we're actually making this more expensive. The other thing I would say is that There is a way of the the ICC paying for a lot of these costs. If the ICC actually want people to play test matches, they could pay some of these costs, like the umpiring costs and the DRS costs and all those sorts of things. But the ICC don't run test cricket. The ICC run one test match every four years, two years, whenever the World Test Championship is, two years, yeah. Um, Every, that's all they run is one test match. And that's on purpose because these same boards who are complaining they can't afford to do test matches wouldn't allow the ICC to run it. If the ICC run it, the operation costs would go there. If you host a World Cup, you don't pay for it. The ICC pay for it. They give you the money for all the grounds. They give you the money for all the staff. They bring in their own staff as well. They hire people from all around the cricket world. If you run a test match, you have to pay for everything from the ground up. It doesn't. Again, it doesn't make any sense, right? And if you're doing that, let's say if you're Zimbabwe and you're playing who's a good team? Australia. Let's say they're playing Australia. What are the Australian broadcasters going to pay for Zimbabwe that they think are probably going to struggle? Not to mention that Zimbabwe tests are often quite dull. They're either flat pitches or, or the ball spins and keeps low. Um, they're not particularly, no one ever says they're exciting uh, matches to watch. They're not a very good team, although they have improved a lot in the last three years, uh, but they're not known as a good team. How many casual Australian fans are going to watch it, right? So if it costs them let's say the living costs and the wage costs and everything are cheaper in Zimbabwe and it costs them 300 grand to do it, right? Are they gonna get that 300 grand back? I can't see how anyone in Australia would pay that much for a test match between Australia and Zimbabwe. So then you've got to make the money out of your local audience. I think we know that while Zimbabwe's currency has, uh, has rebounded from its, its old days, it's still not a very you know, a populous country. Um, Australia is not seen as like the, you know, the, the biggest draw card for uh, Zimbabwean cricket fans. So even if they play the second most lucrative team in in cricket or the third most probably in Australia's case, there's a fair chance they're going to make a loss on that, right? That means that the entire model is busted. And that's the problem. That not only is it busted, it has been busted for a very long time and no
0: one seems to care that it's busted. So so talking about the revenue sharing model, right? So uh, the revenue sharing model is, uh, I remember reading, it was proposed uh, or uh, formulated in 2015 and it's going to end in 2023 right mm-hmm. that that's the believe, so yeah. this year the the model ends so in the last model which is the current model uh bcc and ecb revenue was reduced right i mean i think it was 2.5 to 2.7 billion that was the icc revenue for that cycle and obviously as expected BCCI, ecb and uh, ACB were whining as expected because uh, their whole argument is, hey, we run the show, we get you the maximum eyeballs, we get you the maximum revenue, right? Blah, 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 blah. That, that is the argument given by what you also have always called in your movie, the big three. Mm-hmm. That's what they're called, right? The big three. The big three that uh, basically bully everyone around the world. But uh, if I was to say, right? The last time it was... Uh, I think uh, ECB was 139, 405 million was uh, uh, BCCI and others were 128 million and others includes Australia, Pakistan, West Indies, New Zealand, Sri Lanka and (laughs) Bangladesh, which was uh, quite interesting. Now, the problem is that if you believe in some level of capitalism, the argument always comes that, look, they drive the numbers, they should obviously get the bigger chunk. So how does one balance this, Jared, in that case? like well, The first, uh, the first
1: way of putting this is that
0: Andy Flower,
1: right, played a test series in India, and because of how well he batted, it, the BCCI made more money, right? You need the opposition, right? So the minute you say, we get the most eyeballs, yeah, you have more people in your country, right? Or, Or in some cases, you have more people who will pay more money. Right in Australia's case, uh, specifically, you would make that argument, and a little bit in UK's case, you have the best markets. So when they when they were asked when the big three takeover happened, and the ICC can't remember what his role uh, was at that stage, but maybe it was the president was asked by Usman Saeed, he said, "Other than being from the best three markets, what do these teams what do these teams do better than everyone else?" And the ICC president couldn't come up with a single thing <laughs> that they had done other than the and, and not only we know that that. ECB had let the game rot on their watch and they took it over when it was at quite a strong um, point from the TCCB and crashed it, right? Cricket Australia has basically started the Big Bash because cricket was really struggling in Australia. And the BCCI was so bad at running cricket that they were paying to get it onto TV for a long period of time right? That's how bad they were at running cricket. So all three of these boards are not like exceptional models of great business. I've just told you that the BCCCI are literally undervaluing their own products when it comes to international cricket and and selling them in an incorrect way, right? The eyeball thing is fine, right? If that's what you want to say, I think that's absolutely fine. But there's a fairer way to do it. At the moment, they're not doing it in any fair way, right? The best way to do it would have been uh, to bring in a cricket streaming um, system and say to all these people around the world, okay, you can now buy cricket, but you're gonna tell us what you want to watch, right? So let's say if you want to pay for all cricket, it's like 400 US dollars a year if you're in Australia, right? 400 US dollars a year and you want to watch domestic cricket in Zimbabwe and you want to watch you know uh, women's cr- uh, women's games between Scotland and the UAE. That's the top tier, right But a lot of people just want to watch their home team. And maybe their home team and their home team when they're away, right? And maybe that's $150. We would actually be able to work out then if fans around the world are actually wanting to watch cricket in other places, right? And if they actually want to be able to do that, and you would then be able to then give that money, filter that money back to teams um, on a very fair and equal equitable way. That's not how it's done. There's no global survey to say that, you know, you, you will hear things like India brings in 80% of cricket's wealth, right? Which is probably Broadly true through the, the right systems and everything else. That doesn't account for the amount of Indian people who don't watch India play, right? And maybe they still love the West Indies because they're like old farts like us and they grew up still watching the West Indies, right? That doesn't account for the fact that there are people in, uh, there are Indians in America. So if you actually look at Crick Info's um, numbers, which I had access to for years when I worked, the fourth biggest cricket market in the world was USA, Right? So are we saying that the USA should get the fourth most money from the ICC? I've never heard anyone make that argument before. And yet, if you look at the numbers, and I tell you this on my YouTube channel, on my podcast, on my writing, anywhere I go, USA is always in the top five cricket markets. And no one's ever said we should give them more money, right? What about Brazil? What about uh, a random country in Europe that has a huge amount of Afghanistan and Indian immigrants in it, right? Let's Germany, I don't know if they do. What if Germany is actually making up 3% of the global cricket thing? Is Germany getting any of that money? So they're, they're not starting from an honest position. They're starting from a dishonest position. No one's done these surveys. No one's done these numbers, right? They're just making it up, right? And if they really want to do it properly, as you just said, from a capitalist point of view, I'm all for it. But USA cricket's about to get a hell of a lot richer than it's ever been before. Um, and so as random places. there are, I see my numbers all the time. They're random, like, little... You know expat communities in places, right? And then, then you have the time zone thing, right? So let's say we have a. It's very hard to watch India play cricket in America if you if you're in America, right? A lot of Indian and Pakistani and Sri Lankans and Bangladeshis who live in America make good wages, spend a lot of money on Willow TV, actually spend a lot of time watching Australia because it's a really good time zone for them to watch cricket in, right? Yeah. So again, so now who does that money go to? Does it go to the USA cricket because that's where the fans are? Or does it go to the Australian team? There's all these different things that we need to look at. Not to mention, as I said before, that the cricket fans who want to watch everything. There'll be people who just want a test match thing. And there'll be people who just want an ODI thing and maybe just a franchise cricket thing. There are w- w- there's way more interesting things to, to go from. But the other thing is that the truth is that if you, did a, if you did a proper model and you brought it all together, do you know who would make more money? India, England, and Australia. They're actually costing themselves money by trying to do it in this way. Because we know that that's why they went after the ICC pot of gold, right? Because they were saying, well, we're bringing in all these extra people, we want extra money from this." Fine. If you did that with test cricket, everyone would make more money, and you would also make more money. And as cricket gets bigger, who's going to make more money? India or Bangladesh? Probably still going to be India unless Bangladesh's economy completely changes over the next 20 years, right? It's... Even Bangladesh might have a higher portion of cricket fans and a more intense portion of cricket fans, although that's starting to wane a little bit. But let's say they did. If they don't have the people willing to spend it and the brands willing to back it up and everything else, they're not going to be able to make that money. Right. And there's no world where India, Australia, and England, as cricket is currently being run and as cricket could be run, will not still make the most money. So why not make more money for all of cricket? and including themselves. And that's the other issue here, that they didn't actually try and make more money for all of cricket. They just tried to make it for themselves. And in that, they've limited their own earning capacity. Um, And we're still in this shambolic thing, whereas as I said, no one runs Test Cricket and it's a bunch of people shaking hands going, I would like to come and play you in May. Are you free?
0: Yeah. Talking about surveys, so... This was published in the uh, Indian Express. Uh, it's it's. You'll have to be a premium member before somebody says, uh, how do we read it? I mean, I can't help it. I'm a subscriber to the Indian Express too. So there was this survey that Venkata Krishna B. had uh, discussed on November 30th. So there was the Federation of International Cricketers Association. They came up with a global employment report. And uh, the message was this. Out of the 400 men's players across 11 countries, excluding Indians, who were surveyed by FICA, 49% have revealed that they would consider rejecting a national contract in favor of a bigger domestic con- T20 contract as international cricket grapples. But this is not it. I wanted to read the highlights of the entire survey. 84 players turn are uh, turning out in multiple overseas T20 leagues. would consider rejecting the central contract. This is the biggest thing, Jared. 74% still rank Test Cricket as the most important format, although this has reduced form from 82% in the 2018-19 survey. This is, what the hell? Is this like a Jackal and Hyde scenario where everybody says, I love Test Cricket, but everybody says, I'll dump the national contract and play T20 cricket? What the hell is happening here? Okay, uh, you're a movie fan, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, not that much, but I've seen movies. Yeah. Ever heard interviews with actors? Oh, they're atrocious.
1: I can't take it. <laughs> what do they always talk about that they love the most, though?
0: Artsy Act? movies, cat cat challenging not even, characters. Not even
1: artsy movies. They will tell you that the best thing for an actor is to be on stage, mm-hmm. right? And yet, they're not. They're in Hollywood, earning $20 million a film. They know what the best form of acting is, you know. Hollywood or cinema or Bollywood is a director-led thing, right? So the director makes all the decisions. If you're on stage, the writer and the actor are suddenly the stars, right? It's why you're seeing a lot of people go toward a lot of people also going towards TV, right? A lot of big Hollywood actors now, are like if I can make roughly the same amount of money and do TV, I I'm in control of my character on TV week after week after week, and it'll be a different director all the time, right? But that's only when the money got big. In the old days in Hollywood, you stayed with Hollywood because that's where the money was. And now you're just like, oh, maybe I'll do that Netflix show and they're gonna pay me $3 million and I can I can have a uh, license. But actors will tell you that the best form of acting is on the stage. It doesn't matter, mate. It doesn't matter, right? Karen Pollard would be sledged by the Australian players because he never played a test match, right? Karen Pollard would be like, they didn't pay me enough. Karen Pollard could have played test cricket He probably still, if you have a look at his first-class record, he probably still averages more than most West Indian batters do, right? Not to mention the fact that he he could bowl you a handy six to eight overs a day uh, at his height, plus he's one of the best fielders we've ever seen, right? Karim Pollard would have been a very decent West Indian player. He probably plays 20, 25 tests, probably averages around low 30s, and he has a couple of innings that we all go absolutely nuts on. Probably takes a four-four on a green top somewhere in England or New Zealand, um, and everyone goes, what a handy cricketer he is. Why would he have done that? He would have got no money. He would have literally cut off his family. You know, Polly comes from a poor part of Trinidad where he had to fight his way through to get where he did as it was. Why would he suddenly make a decision that would make him less money? His family less money. This is a man who travels with his family everywhere. You know, you, you Mumbai will be out, you know, at... Um, you know, uh, having dinner at midnight and Polly a bit the next table with his family having dinner with him, right? Even though he's got young kids, well, he used to have young kids. Um, they're probably older now. I haven't seen him in a while, right? He's doing what makes his money because that's what he has to do. What his famous, his favorite form of cricket is probably T20 cricket would be my guess, but there are plenty of other guys out there. Chris Gale loves test cricket. He's made two test centuries, right? That's two more than Sachin Dendulkar did, right? Chris Gayle absolutely loved test cricket. And he looked me in the face and said, why would I take $5,000 per game when I can make hundred grand per game? How, how, what am I supposed to say that? He's right. And it's not that they don't like T20 cricket, although there are some players. I certainly know players who don't like T20 cricket. I know players within the English county system who did everything they could to sabotage their T20 careers because they didn't <laughs> want to play anymore. But the counties were still like, it's a Friday night. You're the star player. Get out there. And hit your 20 off 20 balls. We don't care if you don't start. We need, we need to put your, your picture up on the poster outside, right? And that's what it comes down to. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's funny. I think when I started writing about T20 cricket more, a lot of people, because I'd been known as the test cricket guy, a lot of people are like, oh, we sold out. And I was like, no, I always like T20 cricket. But if you really want to know what I would love to do the most, it would be, it would be writing on first-class cricket all around the world. Right? going to these random little first-class competitions, seeing what players are doing outside the limelight, um, you know, watching professionals grow, seeing what the next trends are going to be in test cricket, scouting players who are going to be next good in in, in, in uh, test cricket. Do you know how much money I would make on that? Negative money. I would need to <laughs> be bankrolled by a billionaire to be able to afford to be able to do that, right? And so I cover the things that pay more money. That's what life is. My mortgage doesn't care. And the players are in the same thing. I think, I think it's a significant drop from whatever you said it was, eighty-two percent to seventy-four percent. I think that's significant, but I also think that you're in the change rooms with the old coaches and the old players. Let me tell you, they talk about Test cricket in a way they don't talk about T20, and they will say to you, "Yeah, mate, yeah, you smash this guy around," um, but how would you face him on a green top in Pretoria, right? They talk about that sort of stuff all the time. And it seeps down to those younger players. And it is a tougher form of the game. And there are certainly players who have a lesser... Uh, Sonal Ryan and Kyron Pollard are two very good examples of players who have a lower respect in the game because they haven't conquered test cricket. And as I said, I think both of them could have had decent careers for the West Indies. I think Sonoran would have been a fantastic test bowler. Sadly, he only played a couple of times and his numbers don't look great, but I think he would have been fantastic at it. But when it comes down to it, the players still think it's the ultimate format and most fans still think it's the ultimate format. But the real difference is you can't play a test match in prime time day after day after day on TV and casual fans don't care. They do prefer the T20 to test matches. And, and that casual fans is where you make your money. You don't make money from hardcore cricket fans. You make your money from the guy who switched over from the golf.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And that's where Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey did that thing for MMA, right? Like most people would not know the regular mixed martial artists, but everybody knows Conor. Like everybody knows Diego Maradona. And I, I never watched football, but I know who uh Lennon Messi is. Because there are some who just go beyond uh, the hardcore fans. So yeah, test cricket is, is something like that. But now let's get into what I propose to you. And now I'm going to take a little bit of, a, uh, of uh, people's time because I have to put my point across. Now, I think as far as the players are concerned, like that's why I shared the survey, I still think uh, an overwhelming majority of cricket players from the first class level, right up to the international level, they still prefer the longer format of the game because as anybody who's good at something would say, like, I would manufacture fabrics. I always got more satisfaction out of manufacturing a tougher fabric than an easier fabric. Like, let's say cotton dyeing is tougher than polyester dyeing. So we would always find that satisfaction uh, as a technical person who would sit down and figure out ways to dye it perfectly. So I can relate to what you were saying. But if we want to save the best format of the game. my. So there are two, three angles from which I'm coming at it. Right now, I do not think we get the best quality of test match cricket. We do not. Because there are three or at best four or five good teams. Uh, I honestly think there are three good teams, two to three average teams. And the rest are just, I don't know, just bollocks. Uh, It is what it is. I I don't know what else to say. And... uh, you know, one of our conversations offline, you made a very important point once that the good teams always have not just 11 players. They have good enough players, if we were to scout, that they could actually fill another team. So what? Are, right now, the current model is that Australia and England and India could probably have five teams easily if we clubbed all their players together, and then the rest of the world could have probably, if we clubbed all of their players together, could have three teams. Easily. You could easily have three top-class teams. So essentially, instead of having an 11-rubbish model, you could maybe have, okay, first-class cricket goes on everywhere. You have international scouts, and you you have this franchise model where you get more players. Like, who would want to watch sarfaraz bat? at the highest level he makes runs after runs in domestic cricket in mumbai in india at the ranji level he can't find a freaking spot mm. in the current indian side now if we had a franchise format there would have been a franchise that said this guy in ranji trophy is really good i'm going to pick him up i'm going to get him to my franchise and he can play for me how is this model not objectively qualitatively quantitatively better than this shit system because people are somehow and now people are going to riled up because i'm not a nationalist i don't care this whole attachment with oh it is for my nation no it's not who cares
1: well i mean it's it's always the thing about that is when people say that if you look back to the early part of cricket australia south africa and england are the three teams right and the players all move teams right (laughs) cricket wasn't even built on and why were they moving teams you know, if someone had gone to South Africa for work or they'd got a contract down there from, you know, some diamond mine who'd given them money to go play for their cricket team or or a county had had brought them out or they would got a job in Australia, right? And, you know, coaching someone or whatever it may be. I, I, I know as a cricket historian, how much cricket has done for growing countries, right? You know, the West Indies, Australia, New Zealand, you know, even early South Africa, these things matter, right? You know, nation building matters, but if that's why you're holding on to it, unfortunately, that's not how the modern world works. And also, more importantly than that, if you're not going to just come together as all the different cricket major cricket boards come together and sell it as a whole, then you're going to allow someone else to come in and do a private league anyway. And it's almost already happened, right? So Z, the, the head of ZTV and um, and Lalit Modi formed a partnership. They went and offered contracts to players. They weren't that far away from just starting their own league. And as far as I remember, the idea was to have, obviously, a T20 league, but also to have an ODI league and also to have a Test league. And it would have been the best Australian players that they could buy and the best whatever. But eventually, I reckon they would have gone, actually, we can get, as you said, the, there's a guy called Glenn Chapel. Have you ever heard of Glenn Chapel? Yes. So Glenn Chappell, uh played for Lancashire for... Oh, god 100 years right so glenn chapel is uh he just retired a few years ago so he's 49 now and i reckon he was still playing up until recently wasn't he he playing in the early 2000s he uh, yeah so he played one odi and i'm trying to remember when that was 2006 right so he played one international and yeah he started playing in the 90s i think can't even see maybe cricket foe doesn't go back far enough to actually tell 1992 he started and he stopped playing in 2015, he had a 23-year first-class career, right? So you know the quality of, of cricketer you need to be to have that length of career, right? He played 315 first-class games. And in those 315 first-class games, he took 985 wickets, and an average of 26, right? Phenomenal player. Not even the best bowler from Lancashire in his period, though, because Jimmy Anderson is there, right? Doesn't even really get that close to England selection. Oh, and he could bat not a great bat, but you know, better than someone like Anil Kumble, you know, but of that kind of level of batter, right? There are, even in the 90s and 2000s, there were many other teams that could have used someone like Chapel, right? That quality of player is not a problem, right? It, you know, there, there are many good county players. Uh, West, if you want to go back to West Indies Great Reign, uh, West Indies assistant coach is a guy called Roddy Eswick. Roddy Eswick, Spent most of his time playing um, cricket in uh, Lancashire. Lancashire League, Staffordshire leagues. He'll send me a message later uh, abusing me for getting that wrong. Played somewhere up north where they pay you to play cricket, uh, in club cricket. He, that's where he probably played his most, other than first-class cricket, that's probably where he played his highest level of cricket. Roddy Eswick's bowling average of first-class cricket is 20, and he never got anywhere near the West Indies team because they had Courtney and Kirtley and Joel Garner and all these other guys that were around the team, right? So at that stage, any, any team in the world, like India would have just said, we will take two of your, you know, West, West Indian reject players, right? Sylvester Clark. we don't care where went to apartheid. Uh, we'll, we'll take him. And who else you got? Uh, oh, Roddy Eswick, great. We'll take him as well. There are dozens of these sorts of guys. And anytime you have successful teams, you have that, right? New Zealand is a perfect example of that at the moment. They're just coming off their golden era. But in their golden era, they had Tom Blundell on the bench, Right? he couldn't even get a game and and you know they had many other players like will young and devin conway and other players out there who were very very highly skilled so when you have successful teams you have that so even if you did a a league i think you would eventually now there's no reason why you would go for for a nationalistic but what you would do and i think you and i both agree is that's kind of where the market is at the moment right as far as the fan bases so you would probably say we'll have India, North, India, South. And we'll have England, North, India, uh, England, North, uh, England, South. And, you know, maybe you have two franchises in Australia as well. A couple of other countries, you have one franchise. A couple of other very good countries in Test cricket might not even have a franchise. You could open it up and you could say, we don't even need local players. I would say that you probably wouldn't. That Maybe you'd have a minimum of five local players um, in every team. That is probably the best model. And then you need it international. And then you need it backed by, I don't know, Apple or Hulu or Amazon or live, right? Cause that's the next one, Saudi Arabia. If I was involved with live at the moment, my first thing would be like, do you really want to get involved in this T20 market? When you could actually pick up all of test cricket for the change in behind the Sultan,
0: do they have Sultans. Did they have Sultans? What do they yeah. have? Who is a Sultan? Yeah, Saudi, they have their Sultan, right? The German, yeah. you're talking so about saying, the king. Yeah.
1: yeah, whatever he's dropped out of his pocket at the moment he could probably buy most of Test Cricket for and start it up straight away. And if you want to have the franchises, you know, Australia-based or England-based or India-based or whatever else, you could do that as well. As you said, there are so many talented cricketers out there that aren't getting a go, you know. Um, even even if you look at the West Indies team, there are political reasons why some of their players are not playing, right? And if you suddenly have the money, Raheem Cormel will come back to you Test Cricket um, and will play and would probably be very good for Rakeem Coleman would be a really good cricketer for New Zealand who don't really have a spinner of his quality. And certainly, then you also get a great slip fielder and you get someone who can biff it at number eight, right? Even in a team that's struggling like the West Indies, there are good players outside of the 11. And I think that's the, you know, it, you, it, you always go back to the, you know, the old thing of if you're, if you could be the second best wicketkeeper in the world and the first the best wicketkeeper in the world is from your country, you don't play test cricket. We don't really need that system anymore. And there's no way anyone funding test cricket would believe in that.
0: Yeah. Like take England for an example, right? Butler, Bearstow, and who's the guy who's the best out of them in terms of keeping folks, right? Mm -hmm. So they keep struggling. Now you have top quality guy like Butler, who's not going to play test cricket after the ashes debacle, basically. Uh, he, He had a bad ashes. Let's just say when he was in Australia, not do well. And he, he was struggling. He's not gonna be in the test match side. He would walk into a test match side of most teams. He would walk into most test match playing sites. It's a waste of time. We're not getting the and the worst part is that you know when England plays Australia, you get good competition. India plays Australia, you get good competition, or India plays England, you get good competition. Everybody knows today when you're playing Pakistan or you're playing against Sri Lanka, you're playing against South Africa, you don't get good competition. So why? And and this attachment, it's such a stupid attachment. No, I am attached to the idea of playing for the nation. No, you're not. The survey clearly says that they would dump the central contract if they had more money. So let's stop lying to ourselves. The surveys are there in the open.
1: Also, it's just not how modern life works, right? It was very different after World War II. Right? Yeah. And a lot of this nationalism about cricket comes from after World War II. And, you know, India is not as much affected as some other countries, but a lot of the other countries in cricket were massively affected. And there is a nationalism surge that you see in the 1950s around many other cricket nations, right? It makes sense. That's not the case now. I mean, I've always said this. I know you and I, we think about nationalism very different than other people. But I'm from a small suburb in Melbourne called Epping, right? I'm very passionate about Epping and things that happen in Epping. I'm no more passionate about Australia than I am Epping. In fact, I'd say less so. Then I'm a Melbourneian Then I'm a Victorian, right? Now I'm a Londoner, right? It, uh, Australia is just one of the constructs that I have made up in my mind that make, that make sense to me, right? And when I grew up, you're like this. I didn't support the Australian team. Do you know why? There weren't enough Victorians in it. I supported Victoria, right? And we convinced ourselves in Victoria there was like this conspiracy to defraud us of international cricketers. I'm not going to celebrate. New. I I go to watch Victoria play and we play against New South Wales and everyone at the ground hates New South Wales. Why would I then turn around next week and support Australia? They've got a bunch of New South Wales players in who I was just abusing at the ground, right? This whole idea of of national identity. India is like what? 38 different countries jam-packed into a bit of the map because some dude drew it, drew it for them. It's nonsense, right? And we know it's nonsense, but we buy into it, which is how sport works. And let's be honest, it's exactly the same. You know, I've, I've got a very good mate who's, who will say, I'm Fulham till I die. Everything is about Fulham for him. Fulham, Fulham, Fulham. But he does understand that he's basically, you know, just um, supporting a pair of pajamas, right? That's all it is. That's all football uniforms are, just a pair of pajamas right? Different people come in and out of them, right? But we do that as sports fans, and I get it. But at a certain point, we have to understand that for the international model to have worked about 10 years ago, probably five years ago, if you're being conservative, if they had got together and done a proper division one, division two, which is what the World Test Championship came about, sold it the way I talked about as a big package, they could have kept it as nation versus nation. Now, It's not going to be nation versus nation in the future because it either won't exist. It won't be important enough. And so most countries won't play it or someone's just going to come in with a shitload, a big checkbook and just buy it. And that's just the truth. They had their chance and all the people who are going to be really upset about that. You have to argue, you have to ask them why they weren't at the time actually putting pressure on their cricket boards and no one did. So you'd have to say that the market
0: did decide. It wasn't that interested. Yeah. So, Another thing that had come to my mind, you know, a lot of people have emotional attachments to specific series. I'm sure Australia and England would say the ashes. I think India would say now the marquee product, which is the Border Gawaska trophy. Indians are emotionally attached to that idea because of the quality of the cricket. I just think mm. when India was in Australia, that was the pinnacle of quality cricket. That was such a competitive series. So can can two things exist simultaneously? Let's say you do have the county structure, which is intact. So you can have your Ashes in a year and a half or whatever cycle the Ashes follows. You can have the BGT format too. You can also have India and England playing against each other. And at the same time, the rest of the time you have franchise cricket. Can both things in in your view exist simultaneously? So we have a little bit of... National pride and mm. you know nostalgia because the look, look everybody who watches Test cricket they will definitely even in India I know so many of my Test match uh, cricket loving friends they watch the Ashes they yeah. love watching the Ashes so you think that's workable? Yeah, I do from a bunch of different reasons. Here's my first one:
1: you talked about Fika before. Last time I talked to Fika, they said there was I think three thousand six hundred professional cricketers in the world, right? There's more than enough cricketers in the world to have it's to, to split it up like uh, motor racing, right? And have drag racing here and have IndyCar here and have Formula One here and have Le Mans over here. More than enough pro- professional. We've never had so many quality professional cricketers around the world, men's and women's, as we have right now. You could argue that the best players aren't at the same level. That I'm not going to get into that because that's for someone else. But you cannot argue that we don't have people who are paid to play cricket who are doing it as a job and getting the most out of themselves at a number that we've never had before. So let's say someone comes in, uh, who, who should we pick? Who should we pick? Well, there's a video recently of Elon Musk talking about how much he loves cricket, right? So Elon mm-hmm. Musk having ruined everything else he's touched decides to get involved with cricket. He grew up as a test cricket guy back in South Africa and he decides to, you know, he's going to take on test cricket because there's money in it. All right. I don't know why he wants to play it on Mars. Who cares? He gets involved with that, right? If they hire the best 200 test cricketers in the world and, I'm, and then the next best 500 go off and play 220 cricket, those 200 test cricketers are still, are probably then no longer going to moonlight in t20 cricket anymore they're going to pick a format going ahead and if they pick that format going ahead they're probably going to go with where they're going to make the most money as we talked about before they've gone with test cricket there's still plenty of chance then for the big t- tours that you talked about to continue to go ahead there's even a chance for some of the smaller ones you could have one off you know maybe if zimbabwe get really good at cricket again they could have a one-off super test against south africa right and um new zealand island could become something you know Sri Lanka Bangladesh whatever right Pakistan become a a, a bigger nation the other thing is have you heard of the British and um Irish Lions do you know what that is no okay so this is a it's called they call it the Lions tours and it's a rugby tournament uh like a one-off that happens every couple of years where the where England and Ireland come together and pick their best team I think the Welsh are involved maybe the Scottish I, I don't know anything about rugby but There's a lot of different people that come together and they form like a super team. And then that super team goes and they tour Australia or they tour New Zealand or they tour South Africa. It doesn't make any sense because it's not actually a nation versus nation competition anymore. And actually England and Wales and Ireland have all got good at various times at rugby. So picking a super team to go up just against South Africa sometimes is probably slightly unfair. At other times they might still lose because South Africa is still strong. Most of rugby now is franchise based. Right. So, you know, you have the the Northern Hemisphere franchises and you have the Southern Hemisphere franchises, and then you have the occasional test championship. And yet, even with franchise bilaterals, World Cups, you still have these one off tours that go and play these Lions tours. And that is because it is worth a fuck ton of money. (laughs) Right. It's a huge thing. Everyone in England who likes rugby wants to be on one of those tours. They want to go out and watch it and support it and 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 they and they absolutely love it. It doesn't make any sense in modern sport for this to still exist, other than the fact that there are enough people who will pay for it, and the South African Australian and New Zealanders are more than happy to have a bunch of Brits come over and make a, a ton of money off them every now and again. You tell me that the ashes isn't going to be like that? You're telling me, I, I don't know. Have, have you ever seen India play overseas? uh i mean in person no no so it's an experience so i wrote about this a few years ago so um i haven't written every single piece possible for india pakistan games i said to them look i have give i have give up i'm not can't write about the cricket anymore how about i write about the crowd All Right? i said i will talk to 200 people in the crowd right so it was india it was the 2015 world cup it was in adelaide india pakistan and um i spoke to 200 people i spoke to about another 200 people online as well who'd been to those sorts of games and, and everything before what i spoke to was 400 of the most middle class indians that you will come across half of which were uh either uh, educated in the west or lived in the west um uh you know uh that were you know from affluent backgrounds and everything else that is a crowd that cricket hasn't even tapped into yet it only comes out at the moment for india pakistan and world cups it will eventually start to travel a lot more for the BGT, for India, England, and for all those other things, right? You're already starting to see it. Have a look when India play in the West Indies at all the Indian kids who who grew up in India, educated in America or grew up in America, but their parents and uncles and aunties and everything are Indian fans come down to the Caribbean for a week off, watch them cricket, get smashed, which is the best way to watch cricket. Um, And so, that is That is already a market that won't go away, and that will get stronger. If if I'm reading sports tourism right, I think Indian sports tourism is only going to get bigger. So you don't want to give up that market, right? And one of the reasons that you know that the Champions Trophy and you know the World Test Championship is played in England is that there are a lot of people who are not English cricket fans who live in England. So they have you know either Indian or Pakistani or Bangladeshi families they still come out to those games. Indian cricket actually makes money in England, right? Separate to the TV deals and everything else, just just from fans. As long as it makes money, it will continue.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and that's the problem. I think the biggest blind spot cricket officials have is because India, Australia, and England are getting away with whatever they are doing right now. Uh, I don't think they have the best interests of the, the main format of the game, the long format of the game, because they can get away with it is what bothers me. And obviously I'm doing this is because I love test cricket. I just love that format. And I would like to see the best of that format. And my biggest fear is, I don't think so it's going to happen now. Maybe by the end of my lifetime, it will, if things continue the way they are going, I think test match cricket will help. It's not going to be sustainable. Before that, I think one-day cricket would help. But what did you make of the suggestion? I think even Anil Kublai was part of that committee that made a, made a suggestion that we should make five-day cricket into four-day cricket. And and many times people give these kinds of arguments. Well, the Indians will have three-day test matches anyway. They're making these kinds of pitches, blah, 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 blah. So uh, how does that change the viewership if a five-day test match becomes four-day? It's not going to change the viewership or the interest, right? No, there are some
1: advantages to 4 Days Cricket. I'll come to them at the end. Um, When they did The 100, they went to a bunch of women's groups who were not from conventional cricket backgrounds. And they said to all these people who don't like cricket, would you come to the cricket if cricket was shorter? And they all said yes. And I was like, that is the stupidest push-pull question I've ever heard. If you said to me, um, uh, French movies go for two hours and you don't like French cinema... I'm now going to make all French movies 40 minutes long. Are you more likely to watch them? I'd be like, yeah, but I'm still not going to watch them because I don't like them, (laughs) right? Fundamentally, I don't like this thing, so I'm not going to like it. So of course, if you say there's less of it, I'm more likely to go to it, but still very unlikely to go to it. And the same thing with Test Cricket. So I don't know how much you know about the history of this. This is one of my favorite things. When Test Cricket started, do you know what they said in England? Three days was too long. No one's ever going to go, want to go to a game that goes for three days, right? We're talking about the 1870s, people were saying this. Industrial revolution has happened. People now have to work normal jobs. You know, it, 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 we got England went away from farming and everything else. Things were moving. London was becoming a thing. I suppose Manchester was becoming a thing at that point as well. How are these people getting all this time off from work? Well, weirdly enough, we went from three to five. And there were some countries that actually did timeless as well, Right and the five is random right because as i said england was playing three-day test matches against certain countries for a long period of time when uh 1949 when new zealand came over to play test matches they played three three-day test matches i think that's right it was a four three-day test matches um so it's a bit like the you remember when the hundred came in and they changed the length of the over and all these people got really upset like mm-hmm. do you do realize that balls in in cricket have been four uh, overs have been four balls five balls six balls and eight balls seven's like eight the balls, only number yeah. that we've never done um yeah. and so there is no traditional amount of balls in an over there's just what you know when you grew up and it's a bit the same with five day tests right it's a bit you and i basically have lived through a period where only five day test matches um exist i don't know maybe you're older than me and you're around for a couple of those six-day test matches and obviously there was the icc six-day test match uh or there's been a couple of those now uh, the super test and now the world test championship but by and large we have grown up in an era where five days is is the amount of days if you're going to play it, it what they really want to be able to do is play back-to-back weekends and you can't do that with a five-day test match that is what they should be honest about that's the only reason to go to four days if you can copy golf's model, but do it in prime time, which even golf can't do. So you can play day-night test matches, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it means set Sunday night, when you know you suddenly have, I don't know, a close test match. Can you imagine what it would do in a country? Everyone is watching it. The, you watch now a close test match in, in New Zealand. We have them recently. We've had some in England. We've had some in other places. On a Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock, it's exciting. What's it gonna be like at 8.30 at night on a, on a Sunday night when the whole country starts watching because, you know, that's the best time to watch TV, right? That's the advantage of the four-day test. Now, there are ways to get around it as far as overs. You can actually, in day-night test match, slightly elongate the days, right? So I think in county cricket, they play more overs, and I think there's a couple of other first-class systems that might do similar things. You could easily add an extra half an hour or an hour um fit more overs in and you could do this other magical thing where you actually enforced how many overs were supposed to be bowled in the first place so that we actually got the maximum amount of overs in so there are things that we can do from that perspective and and I think that all makes sense um so the, I think there are arguments for four-day cricket ultimately I don't think it really matters because l- let's go back to our franchise idea so Elon's come back in right Elon and the Saudis have formed a partnership who that would never happen awkward um Uh, But let's say that Elon and the Saudis um, formed a partnership. They take over Test Cricket um, and they do this thing. If you had a proper league, you could actually do it so that every day of the week, there's already Test Cricket being played, right? Like, do you know what I mean? All around the world, you could, because one of the funny things about Test Cricket now, what's the most exciting time to be a Test fan? It's always around Christmas because Australia, New Zealand, Bangladesh, India, um, South Africa, all play Test matches at the same time. You can watch 24 hours of cricket in that period. If you actually set the league up correctly, you could do that all year round, right? If you were really, really clever with where you put teams, what time zones you had the games in and everything else, which ones were day night, which ones were day, you could actually do that. So that any day, any moment of any day, you could turn on and there would be on, I don't know, Elon Saudi Arabia's Test Match TV channel, there'd be a test match being played. If you if you um, allowed stuff like that, you don't actually don't need the four day model anymore, right? But if you want to get crowds in and you want to um, maximize a cricket as it's currently being played, I think the four day model probably makes a lot of sense from that. As I said, from a scheduling point of view. Whereas if if India and England are playing Test matches, you really want Saturday, a Friday night, Saturday Sunday to be maximized for for the audience. It, the amount of great test matches that finish on a Monday afternoon, in you know, Tuesday afternoon in random places where there's no crowd is not ideal. It's not really how you want it to be. So I do understand it from that perspective. And there are ways of being able to do it, as I said, to, to maximize it. But um, you could go completely the other way. Stay with five-day tests if you want and just play them in a way that they'd never overlap with each other. But anytime you turn on the TV, you're watching some poor sap ball into the wind.
0: Yeah. And interestingly, this year's uh, Border Gawaskar Trophy in India, I didn't notice the, the dates of the test matches were always, you know, at least you had Friday, Saturday, Sunday covered in all the test matches. I think that was by design. They wanted people to turn up uh, to the stadium for the four test match series. On this point, you know, if you reduce it to four days and increase the number of overs, what what it does it do to the toll on the bowlers, especially the fast bowlers? So to counter that, do we have systems like substitutions where I can substitute a fast bowler if I want to for a while because my main fast bowler is tired or something of that sort? Because we would have to do a lot of second order and third order effect corrections. Yeah. No, no, I think you're right. And also... If you're a young fast bowler, would you not just, unless
1: the money was better in test cricket, but if the money's about the same in both, you just pick T20 cricket because it's better on your body and you can play for longer, right? So I I think you have to do that. So I can't remember if I sent you the link when we were discussing this, but so I looked at a bunch of ways to basically modernize um, test cricket. And one of them was uh, to have full substitutions available to you. So not like mm-hmm. this pay player, player sub thing that they have um, at the moment, but literally a legitimate substitution, maybe more like football, where you get three substitutions throughout the game. You make that decision at any time, um, then that would allow, because if you think about it, fast bowlers are really good at the start of the game and spin bowlers are really good at the end of the game, Take right? The game. Traditionally, not, not all surfaces and everything, but traditionally that's kind of how it works. Wouldn't it be better if you could sub your fast bowlers out and have extra spinners at the end? Should we really be watching tired fast bowlers bowling cutters on the fifth day because there's no one else ready to bowl? This comes back to what you were saying before about the, the, the franchise model, right? You want the best players playing against each other. Do you know what I don't want to see? Paul Collingwood ever bowling again, right? <laughs> I want to see the best bowlers going up against the best batters. I don't necessarily want to see the best bowlers, um, you know, or the, the best batters bowling up against someone else. And this is a question for T20 cricket as well, right? So I think you're right. I think uh, if we do go to the four-day one, I think, that and we do elongate it slightly, it would change. Because if you look at counter cricket, as, as I said before, they do have extra overs. They do play a lot of cricket. Like counter cricketers play more cricket than any other professionals, I think. Um, still by a long distance Um, and they don't and England doesn't produce fast bowlers. That's not an accident. Those all, there's a little bit conditions based about bowling in England, but mostly it's because if you're a fast bowler in England, you are absolutely rooted by the time you're 25 because you've had to bowl um, a lot of overs in four days. And then you've got a one day game and then you've got a T20 game on the Friday. Then you're back bowling first class cricket again um, the next week. So there's a lot of cricket that those guys bowl. So we know there is an impact there. I've got no problem with, with with that. The, 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 I love the idea that cricket is one of the last sports where Richard Hadley can bowl to Mike Whitney. I don't, you know, there's a lot of young people now having no idea what I've just said, but go back and Google it. If, uh, after we've finished chatting, it's worth having a look at literally the worst batter in the world, having to block out a draw against the best bowler in the world, absolutely stunning theater. But I still, the best cricket I've ever seen was Mitchell Johnson and Ryan Harris in full flight bowling to AB De Villiers. Um, and while I have loved watching Muhammad Shami make a fifty and Jimmy Anderson make a seventy and all the, you know Tino Best ninety odd, right? I've I've seen some of the best number eleven knocks ever. I've happened to be at the ground and watching. I'd still rather watch Mitchell Johnson and Ryan Harris bowling to AB De Villiers. And I do think there is something much much more to be said about the best bowlers going up against the best batters, even if the the romanticism of sending out Glenn McGrath to you know face Farnie De Villiers is hilarious. Um, I think substitutions can only improve cricket.
0: Yeah, I, I my favourite memory of funny batting is Courtney Walsh trying to survive those four or five balls in the test match where Brian goes and hits the winning runs in the mm-hmm. next over. That was so fun to watch. I mean, uh, well, who was it? Gillespie, right? Gillespie was bowling to Courtney Walsh and he was dancing all over the place. It yeah, doing so the big weird
1: leaves and everything. There's a great game, and I think it was a great game where Stuart McGill... Um, where Sean Tate had taken six wickets in a domestic limited overs game and Stuart McGill had to go out there and hit the winning runs. It's great. Don't get me wrong. I've got a huge piece about number 11 batters um, that I'm working on at the moment, which is one of my favorite topics ever. My dad was a number 11. um, And I love, you know, his stories of, you know, like not owning a bat and things like that and and all that sort of stuff. It's absolutely great romantic stuff. But if, if Test cricket is the best players against the best players, there's a reason that baseball has the designated hitter rule, right? Like these things aren't an accident. And and if we're redesigning Test Cricket from scratch, which you and I are, um, apparently, um, then I think that is a very... And, and even even if you take away the four-day four day element, I think it makes sense to do that going ahead. The only reason we don't have substitutions in cricket, I promise you, is because so much of cricket doesn't make money that people don't want to take bigger squads with them. There is no reason to only have a 15-man squad at a World Cup. No reason at all. It doesn't make any sense. Name a franchise league in the world where you only have a 15-man squad. There aren't any, right? They're yeah, all 16, all IPL 70. franchises are 24, 24, 25. Even the hundred has more, despite the fact that those those players could be off actually playing for other teams. So there's it's just a simple case that they don't want to do this. But I think going ahead, I just also. Test cricket is so, if your main bowler gets injured, you kind of can't win the test match. Now, that's not 100% true, but if your bowler gets injured on day one in the first over, what are your chances of winning that test match? It's pretty low, right? And we've now got five more days to see an inevitable result. Again, I just think that substitutions can really help us.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think substitutions would be a good idea uh the only problem with the day night model is the current ball sucks i think the Mm -hmm. pink ball is not that good i uh, i just think the nature of the game changes drastically and that that needs to be controlled i don't know how we're going to do that Uh, but overall they could
1: invest money in it
0: yeah and and franchise models would have that
1: yeah so when i looked into it I, i probably done the deepest investigation ever into this just because i was so fascinated and I'm being friendly when I say they invested $2 million of, uh, in research and development. It's probably closer to a million, right, on what is a billion-dollar sport. And if you think about it, when I was doing that film, as you were saying before, everyone was saying to us, well, this is the advertising rates for daytime, and this is the advertising rates for primetime. It's like three and four times higher. So why would we not want to move into prime time? And yet no one put their hand in their pocket. I think Cricket Australia and the MCC spent more money on R&D than all the rest of cricket combined. One of those is not even a cricket body, right? I think the pink ball is actually pretty good. I think the pink ball should replace the white ball, which is absolute rubbish. But I also mm. think that the, if you want the pink ball to be your only ball or your main ball, just give... <sighs> this is what I would do, right? If I'm going to buy cricket and that's what we're talking about, buying it, setting up a franchise league, whatever. Let's pretend we're Saudi and Elon again, right? I would buy Dukes, Kookaburra, and SG. I would then run proper tests to work out who's doing well, what, what Dukes can help Kookaburra with, what Kookaburra can help Dukes with, and what SG can help them both with and what he can learn, right? And then I would say, okay, you're now the manufacturer of cricket balls. I'm now going to give you $20 million to come up with the best day-night ball that we can come up with. Right? And we want to use it right across cricket. We want one that will work better in T20 and ODIs. We want one that will work better in Test Match. We know that these are two different balls. We want you to set it up. $20 million. That's all. I'm not, I'm not you know, they're going to be spending more money on, I don't know, Kyle Jameson, right, in, the, in, the, in this scenario, right? But $20 million, proper R&D. Go and speak to the baseball people as well. If there's something to be learned from there, do this properly. And I'll tell you, I've just mentioned baseball, MLB own their ball.
0: They don't. Yeah. They own the company that makes the ball. That's makes a lot of sense. And they spend a lot of money in the R&D of uh, experimenting yeah. with the balls. Yeah. They can tweak the results. You know, if certain kinds of balls are doing certain things, they, they change it and they have the absolute control over it.
1: Well, here's a perfect one. I don't know if you saw my piece about how Kookaburra changed the ball and it completely changed cricket all around the world. Yeah, the I did. And the ICC I did. didn't know about it, right? The ICC was shocked when I told, when they saw my video. They didn't they even They didn't believe believe that, tell us. They literally thought I was talking shit to begin with. They were like, this can't be true. <laughs> and then they started looking at the numbers and they were like, oh God. And then they went, oh, it doesn't matter. And the other people in the ICC sitting there going, whoa, whoa, a random company has changed our sport and they didn't even tell us, right? And we're their the biggest clients. So yeah, it's a ridiculous situation. Again, all these things can be fixed if you're running cricket properly and it's not being run properly. And that's the biggest issue here.
0: Yeah. So somebody in the live stream has asked a very interesting question. Someone has said, what about having different boards, like literally different ICC and different national boards for all the formats. And now it's your responsibility to save your format. What is happening right now is you have a centralized structure. It's a very interesting question. I find it to be a very interesting proposition. Um, because again, my my political leaning is very decentralized in nature. So I always like where, you know, give, so let's say there is a test cricket board, there is an ODI board, and there is a T20 board. And now those three boards are responsible for saving their own format. Mm. Do you think even if we did not have the franchise format that you and I are talking about, we just decentralized the damn thing? Now, ICC has a different test board or whatever it is. And let's say now it's your problem if you want it to survive or not. Do you think that would lead to better results? Yeah. It goes back to what I
1: said before, which is the same thing. I just, I put it in a different way, which is we have all these different kinds of motor racing, right? In fact, you can go back to rugby. There's two different kinds of rugby, right? It would be ridiculous if rugby union was running rugby league, right? But that is actually what we have allowed for. There are now more than enough professional cricketers from around the world to to go off and split up into all these different formats, And as we know, the best drag racer in the world may not be the best Le Mans racer. And yet we're still trying to make our best drag racer play um, at Le Mans, so to speak. So yeah, I'm completely on, on, uh, on the side of that. I think if you were start, if we were starting from scratch now, there's no way one board would run everything, right? They would all be individual and they would go off in their own directions. And, you know, I, I've had this conversation so many times with boards. I said, like, you guys are really good at marketing T20 cricket, but you are shit at marketing test cricket, right? Absolutely dire. I go around the world to these test matches and it's like, you wouldn't even know that some, when I say marketing, something there is no marketing, right? The test match is there. And if you're lucky enough to have known and read in the newspaper it was coming up, you'll go to it. And if not, you don't, maybe someone put a tweet. That's that's your best case scenario. Um, if you made them eat for their supper as you just said they can't do that anymore right and that was a big there was big part of our film was not that t20 cricket was ruining test cricket because i don't think sam and i kind of ever looked at it that way although a lot of fans do we kind of looked at it as if you're doing all these great things to run test cricket uh, sorry t20 cricket and you're doing literally none in test cricket then that obviously one of these formats is going to go well and one's not right that's like like I've, I've constantly said that even though McDonald's has completely changed, the Big Mac is still the Big Mac, right? My guess is in the, in the early days, the Big Mac was their major seller at McDonald's. And these days it's probably like a small part of it, but they don't get rid of it because there are people who love the Big Mac. And if you took it off the menu or you took it away, it wouldn't work, right? You just have to look after all your products. And if you are in a situation where you've suddenly decided that only one of your three products matters, then you, you've you caused an issue. I don't think you can decentralize the boards. I don't think there's a way of doing that without bringing in Elon and the Saudi money, right? Like it needs to be a franchise model or not, not sorry, franchise is wrong. It needs to be an outside source who does that. I think you could do it with an outside source without too much problems, but I don't think you'd do it I- inside. So
0: it's a good idea, but I don't think it will happen
1: within cricket.
0: Fair enough. One last question before we wrap up. So this is one of the things that I thought is a weakness in what I am proposing along with you. So I'll give you the boxing analogy. You know, boxing has different uh, bodies, right? You, hmm. everybody has their own heavyweight champion. Everybody has their own. Yeah. And nobody gets to fight. You know, the biggest tragedy in boxing these days is that we just don't get a good fight anymore. Like boxing, uh, governing bodies they protect their fighter so you know you might see oh this boxer has a 22 and 0 record or 25 and 0 record yeah he's just fighting bums they really protect their boxer mm. and then suddenly you find like i'll give you an idea for just this weekend we had tank davis and uh ryan garcia fighting absolutely amazing fighters but there are many such fights that don't happen in boxing because somebody's fighting for one for one side, somebody's on another company, and they just can't get the deal done. Now, if we make it franchise, what if others come up? Because there's not one billionaire in this world, there're freaking hundreds of billionaires, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Hang on, this freaking guy is making so much money, I'm gonna put in more money." T Twenty franchises are a classic example of that, right? Mm-hmm. So we end up diluting the product it's it's a fair it's a fair one i mean we have the ipl right
1: so the ipl is now the best league in t20 cricket by a huge margin right but now that the saudi arabians are looking at coming into cricket they can match that money they can maybe beat that money right cuz they just spend billions and won't care about it and do what they do right so we now have two leagues and what if the saudis go wait a minute all we need to really do is we BCCI is moving too slow. They're doing a two-month tournament. We'll just do six months, right? Straight away you have two. Then maybe you have Amazon or Apple or whoever else in America is like, well, major this major league cricket. We need to get in, we need to get more Indians buying iPhones, right? What's the best way? Let's make our own league. blah, blah. All these things are possible. Um, that's what happened. That's capitalism, right? I mean, you're the libertarian of the two of us. That's how these things work, right? I would argue that if nothing is done, test cricket will be in a worse position now than it currently is, regardless. Um, I, may, I'm probably the wrong person to ask you because as I said before, if, if it was up to me, I'd go and watch first class cricket. So if there's three leagues of test cricket, I'm going to be the dude watching those three leagues, telling you which one is the best, uh, You know, finding my f- favorite players, talking about, transfers between leagues and, you know, players, um, you know, signing new contracts and everything else. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that, but I would imagine that driving an Indy car and a formula one and whatever else, other kind of race cars, uh, you know, on that sort of level, I would imagine we don't have the best drivers in all those things at all times. And sometimes the third best driver in the world might be an Indy car driver, right? Not, and not in formula one and i would say that probably happens quite regularly at a certain point here's my question for you do you care and i don't think sports fans do one of the the big the biggest nonsense i've ever heard in in sports people always go oh the quality of it's gone down right so the nba keeps expanding uh, right and the ipl will keep expanding and you know all these different leagues around the world will keep will keep expanding people don't watch less right it doesn't work that way right and and so And I really think that we talk about that over and over again. And that's, I've heard this a lot with test cricket. Let's say, forget, let's say it actually just works. Someone comes in, they franchise test cricket, they do it properly, and no one else does it, right? You're still not going to have the 20 best cricketers in the world because five of those will be like, do you know what? I just like T20 cricket more. Or it doesn't affect my body in the same way. Or I get to do it in my hometown, whereas this test franchise isn't in my hometown, right? Any way you do it, you're going to have a dilution of talent. And so I, I just don't think that that's ever as big uh, of, of an issue as people think it is. And um, one of the best ones for this is Aussie rules football. There was a period of time, probably up until the 1980s, where outside of Queensland and New South Wales, the majority of the best athletes um, chose the sport that they wanted to play in, right? And the one that paid the most back in those days was probably Aussie rules football. Cricket didn't pay very much, you know, foot, uh, you know, soccer didn't pay very much. Tennis, there was only a handful of players. So the best athletes quite often went to Aussie rules football. Then money starts to come into cricket. Money starts to come into soccer. Uh, Australia starts to have NBA players, right? You know, all these different things start to happen. And so the best athletes disappear from Aussie rules football a little bit. No one's stopped watching the game, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's still good. It's still professional. People still like it. There are more teams that when I grew up watching Aussie rules football, there was about 11, 12 teams, 11 teams, and 10 of them were in Melbourne, if you count Geelong. Um, and now there's, you know, almost 20 teams and there's about to be one in Tasmania and players come from all over. I, if you like the sport, you like the sport. And I think that there are, this is this is a very controversial view. I think there actually are enough to have three leagues of test cricket of 600 players who are really, really good, as long as the pipelines still go. That's the tricky bit. So that that's always the tricky bit. One, it's easier to have a franchise league, but you need to make sure that people are still producing cricketers. But I don't know if you've ever spent any time in South Africa, but every posh kid over there seems to be able to average 50 in first class cricket um, and their posh schools keep producing them. I'm not too worried about the pipeline at the moment. 20 years time, that might be different for test cricket and first class cricket, but right at the moment, I'm not worried about the pipeline there. And so from that perspective, I think, and and this is ridiculous because we start off by saying there's only three teams who can play test cricket and the whole thing's dying. I actually think there are more than enough cricketers to have three professional leagues um, out there. I don't think we will see it. We might see two. I don't think, think we'll see three, but if I was running the IPL, I'd be going, couldn't we just do this?
0: I would. If I was the IPL, I would just smash Test cricket. I would just stop this nonsense. Buy it right and, now. And, Finish it. Yeah, and and here's why. Uh, the only counter I thought to this argument was again from my experience of watching mixed martial arts. It's not like UFC is the only organization that runs. I mean, you know, there's Bellator, there is One Championship, there is PFL, and there are local uh, leagues also that run in America that that have a system. But UFC has. Uh, if you look at the entire roster of let's say 400 500 fighters they have the best overall fighters and that's why most people go to ufc that generates the most money uh, it's not like basketball only has nba there are other leagues too but mm-hmm. it's just that eventually basketball has a long tradition uh, same with nfl same with uh, baseball it's not like the japanese don't play baseball they japanese do play are baseball. Great at baseball right I mean, yeah. and,
1: and europeans are great at basketball But essentially there are people who choose to watch those leagues and there are the majority, which comes back to casuals. Most casual fans who like basketball are going to watch the NBA. Most casual fans who like baseball are going to watch MLB. Doesn't mean the other leagues aren't good. Right. And it's it's exactly the same um, model. And so you're right. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. So uh, I think like the promotions, there are four major promotions in boxing, three major one. eh, I don't know. So. I mean, whatever. But I think it can happen. I think you can get things done. I personally feel these are my last words and I'll hand it over to you. If we really care for five-day cricket, we should get over this, uh, you know, obsession we have with having national sides. If we, even if we want to have national sides, maybe we can have the marquee series like the Ashes or the BGT and India versus England. And that could be our, you know, yearly nostalgia or you know every two year nostalgia where we get or as you know old farts who are used to certain things in our life and you know the whiny ones don't need to whine okay you still have your ashes because it's because I was talking to many friends in England and they're like listen we don't give a fuck about cricket but we care about ashes that, that, that's all they care about the ashes you know when the ashes comes around most casual fans in England are like alert okay ashes are here we hate the Aussies we need to do something about it. That's all they, uh, I've understood. And and I think it's fine. And I believe eventually, I hope we have franchise test cricket and this nonsense of national teams. I mean, America has mastered the art of not having a national side people care about. Hmm. Why can't we do it? That's all I'll say.
1: Yeah. Look, I think it, if you're having this conversation with me five or 10 years ago, I would have said there are other ways of making test cricket work. that We don't need franchises. Not, not to say I would have said it was a bad idea, but I would have said we have, if we have Division 1, Division 2, Division 3, we have the ability to do this. Um, they didn't do anything. The, the smaller sides, uh, you know, we talk about the big three a lot. The smaller teams were the ones who basically voted themselves into, you know, dust when it came to test cricket. They had their chance. For me, I don't care if I'm watching Surrey or Otago or India right it, for me it's about the cricket and the skills that are required to make test cricket important my my bigger worry for cricket is if we don't have test cricket t20 cricket just isn't as fulfilling and it is a throwaway format and i don't mean that I, I i love it and i write about it and i go and watch it all the time it's just not the same and i think that i grew up watching one day cricket and quickly realized that test cricket was better and moved on if you don't have anything to move on to that's a much bigger issue i think Because you really want that. But when it comes down to it, test cricket is a... Let's even take Test out of it. First class cricket is a fantastic type of sport, right? And it has has been around for over 200 years. The idea that there aren't enough people out there to make it work in this day and age is nonsense. It may not be as big as T20 cricket ever again. That's absolutely fine. But you can't tell me that there are 10 million people on this planet who really, really love this. And if that's the case, you can make money from it. So that's what we have. If that's what we have to do to save the thing that we love, then that's what we do. You know. And and I think that if, if you are telling me that you don't want it saved like that and you want it to be exactly how you remember it, I don't think you really love Test Cricket. I think you loved your childhood and you love the memories and the nostalgia you have. of it, And that's absolutely fine. I'm not arguing that you're wrong in that. But if you actually love the game, and I know that from having a look at numbers, you know, on websites and, and all this sort of stuff, I know that there's minimum 10 million people around the world that absolutely love Test Cricket. Uh, that The only way to save it is for it to develop and change. And here's the thing that they never, ever tell you. Test Cricket has been developing and changing since the start. This will just be another thing that comes from it.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't have put it better. Jared, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you. And uh, let's hope uh, something good comes out of it. I know a lot of people listen to you quietly and they never take your name because you're you're dangerous. You cannot mention Mr. Kimber. (laughs) I've always
1: thought of myself as dangerous.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up. Uh, in the description, go follow Jared on Twitter. Go subscribe to his Substack or his Patreon. Uh, I'm uh, like I always say, I'm a supporter uh, of Jared on Patreon. And if you like what I'm doing here, please become a member of the Charbuck Podcast, uh, YouTube, on Patreon or Fanmo, wherever you like to go, or buy the merchandise and subscribe to this channel. Or if you're an audio only listener. Go do your review and rating thing on iTunes, Spotify. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, take care. Bye.